0: This is the first lesson in a series of Bible studies on the topic of mutuality. We are Christians, disciples of Jesus, and we love the Bible and we want to do things God's way. We don't want to follow the patterns of the world. We want to know what God really wants for our lives and how He sees things and what He believes. And intends for us. So, why don't we begin this morning in the book of Genesis. It seems like the perfect place to begin. Let us begin by reading Genesis chapter 1 starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and bird, every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So, the reason you know that I emphasize them is because this is the creation story where the beginning, the first account of creation. And I think that's significant and the the story is very simple and very clear that God created both man and woman in his image. That in his image he created them, male and female. And so we are both, men and women, intended to be God's image bearers to portray God to the world in some ways. And um and I think that it's important to see that God had a plan. He had an original plan, a perfect plan. This plan that man and woman would bear his image to the world. And God gave both the men and the women the responsibilities of the of the earth to have dominion, to have domination, to have authority in the earth. And he says he created them to be fruitful to multiply to rule and subdue. Now, that's wonderful. That's amazing. He gave them jobs to do, responsibilities, but it's very clear that they were given equally to the men and the woman, the man and the woman. And um, they were intended to be those partners that would work together to accomplish these good things. In this, in this account, you see no um, mention or um, anything that would lead us to believe there was any hierarchy or that there was any sense of one over the other or, or that there's any significance in, bur- in uh, creation order that um, because man was created before woman or anything like that and we're going to go on and look at the next account as well but just want us, us to see that there's this beautiful original plan that to me seems very clear that there's this equality this balance um, that they were different but that they were so well fitted that they were both created in god's image to to accomplish good for him So, with that in mind, why don't we move on to the next creation account in Genesis 2. And the truth is, it would be better if you would take time to read at least verses 4 through 25. Um, It's uh, another account of creation and it has a lot of detail in it and a very familiar story, I think, to all of us. But I would like today to focus on a certain verse, um, verse 18, and I wanted to read it in at least three or four versions here just to kind of get an idea, and then we'll break it down and, and look at it. He has, God has um, now, of course, um, made the the animals and he makes the, uh, the man. And then in verse 18, he says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Then another version said, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then in another, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. And another, Now the Lord God said, It is not good or beneficial for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, one who balances him, a counterpart for him, suitable, who is suitable and complementary for him. And in Another version, let's just read one more. It says, Later the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make the woman to be an authority corresponding to him. Now, this verse has been taken and has been used and misused and understood and misunderstood uh, for a lot of years and uh, which is the reason I wanted to focus on it here for um, just a few minutes and sort of uh, pull it apart because I want us to look at the words that um, God uses when he creates woman. So <clears throat> he uses two words, "azer" um, and connecto, okay? So, um let's look at these two words. Um, he says, "A suitable helper so or a helper suitable to him is how a lot of us have read it or heard it over the years. But there's also many other ways that it is these two words are translated. Um, and the the definitions, even if you do word studies on these two words, to see where else they're used in the Bible and in what context it really helps. So we don't have time today to do all of that, but let's dig in a bit. Um, this first word, azer, um, is translated at some places, like we said, as a helper. And... Um, that has been truly misunderstood. This concept of a, a helper has made it sound at times like God was making man an assistant, uh, like a little buddy, a little helper. Um, I know that um, you know that can bring up all kinds of images, maybe in in our minds. Uh, when my children were little, I would get them to help me in the kitchen to be my little helper. And um, that usually meant it was gonna take a lot more time and be a lot bigger mess, but it was gonna be a lot of fun. But it wasn't that they were going to give me a great advantage in the situation. It was that they were gonna be my little buddy. And there is no connotation of that. There's n- there's nothing in the passage that ever gives us that. The word um, azer, is is definitely um, a word that is used elsewhere in the Bible. Um, But it actually means, well, maybe we should say how it's said, azer. Now, um, I know that people have different ways of pronouncing it, and it's probably fairly anglicized. But it's um, a zer, It's like it rolls the 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 r, um, and uh, I think the the z is kind of hard. But just just so you know, that that word um, really carries with it a strength, a power um, just this, um, this sense of being a rescuer. And, um, and, uh, and so I want, I want us to look in context, you know, how we used to do word studies maybe, or maybe you still do on, on words just to figure out the context and what you can learn about how God is using it. So when God creates woman, he calls her like, I'm going to create azer. That's who I'm going to create. Well, this woman, this word in the form of a noun is used uh, twenty one times um, in the Old Testament. Um, it's a Hebrew word used twenty one times, and sixteen of those times it refers to God Almighty, to Jehovah God himself and I want us to think about that I mean that's that's pretty amazing that usually this word refers to God. And God coming to rescue. Now, twice um, it's used here in these passages about creating woman, okay, about God calling woman Azer. And the three other times it's used in the Old Testament refers to needed military assistance, okay? So, it was a, a, a military assistance being requested or being offered or being denied, but it's military assistance. And, um, you know, just even on a bit of a side note, but that's very interesting, um, the word also can be used in the form of a verb, and um, it, you know, the verb uh, means to rescue or to save, and it actually appears in the old testament from what i can tell um 80 times and generally indicates military assistance so that's that's pretty incredible there and that's in the in the you know in the idea of a verb um and, and how it's used So I just, I I want us to get a picture like drawn for us, but let's look up a few of those passages and just read a few of them. In Deuteronomy 33 and verse 29, the Bible says, The Lord is your shield and your azer, your help, your glorious sword, your enemies will cower. So that's how that word is used, and it's the Lord. He is your help, your helper, Um, and your glorious sword, and your enemies will cower because of him, his help. But that is the word azer. In Psalm 33, in verse 16 through 22, um, we won't read the whole passage, but um, it says, The Lord is our help. Our Azer and our shield to deliver us. So the Lord is the one who is the the Azer, the helper. Um, in Psalm 115 and verse, uh, verses 9 through 11, it says, "The house of Israel trust in the Lord; He is their help, their Azer and shield." O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield, their azer and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help, their azer and shield. So it's repeated over and over. And there's this idea that, that's painted for us clearly that what God had in mind, what that word, when he's like, I'm going to create a help a helper. He did not intend some sort of an assistant or a, um, you know, kind of an underling in any form. No, not a little buddy. I mean, you never, ever hear this term used as an assistant or as a subordinate of any kind. It's a strength. Um, That there's no connotation of this helper being under the authority of the one they're helping. Not in any form. Um, And so I think that it's just important to, to understand what God was saying. He said, I, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make an azer. And then he uses a word to qualify it, okay, to describe it. It's a descriptive word. And I think that this is really important because at this point, if you were just reading this passage and it didn't have the word "conegdo," the suitable helper, what kind of helper? Suitable helper or corresponding helper, um, then you would think that this was going to be this power, this strength that was going to come in and take over and rescue everything like the Lord God does and did in these situations where that word is used. But there's a qualifying word. And this word is is really um, a great word. I mean, <clears throat> it makes it clear that woman is equal to man, not over him not superior to him, but also not inferior to him, but she is equal to him. It's been translated all kinds of ways. Uh, Perfect match, uh, the same as, uh, compatible to, uh, counterpart, um, a balance uh, it, it, that's created uh, by equal opposing force um, is a definition given, uh, like the North Pole to the South Pole. And um, I know that when we would do these classes in person, one of the things we would do is get um, a, a man and woman to sit um, flat on the floor with their legs straight out and. flat front of them back to back. So they are back to back, sitting flat with their legs straight out and they would hook their arms around uh, each other so that they are hooked together. And their backs are are up against one another and then we would challenge them to you know sort of pull their feet up and pull their knees up closer to them each of them and try to stand up and you've probably done this or experienced this or you're somewhere along the way and if they each push um, equally, you know, give, push, put equal force, equal pressure, they can actually rise together into a standing position, which is really um, great. I mean, um, but if one of them pushes too much, one of them leans too heavily, one of them uh, doesn't, ju- there's not just that balance, they will fall, they will not be able to rise. And I think that that actually is a perfect example of this word. It's this idea that with e- if the two are equal, they can support one another to rise and do amazingly well. But if one pushes too hard, if one doesn't support, then it it will ha- it'll be hard to rise. So Anyway, I think that um, this, this word is, is very key to us understanding God's original plan. That, that plan was for this equal partnership where both would benefit and neither would be harmed. It's not that it's one over the other. There's no hierarchy that you can find in this passage. There's no um, there's no significance of the order of creation, uh, not in any sense. Um, there's just this um, this amazing picture that's painted with with the words that God uses to say who woman is going to be in relation to man, and that it's not going to be subordinate, um, dominant relationship, but that it's going to be an equal relationship, a relationship that's truly supportive and balanced. Um, Okay. Now let's go to Genesis chapter three. What I think is when you're studying this, you want to read all of it. You know, Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 probably is the truth. And for this um, pa- this uh, specific passage, at least Genesis 3, verses 1 through 20. But for time's sake right now, I'm going to start in, um, let me see. Um, in verse 11, it talks about the serpent, you know, um, um, no, 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 we've already had the serpent come and all of that. Okay. Let's just, uh, then God, uh, comes and finds them and says, where are you? I heard you're in the garden. I was afraid. Uh, I was naked. And, and so they begin this conversation with God. Okay. So, um, and what I'd like to do then maybe is begin reading in about verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and you and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. I will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your labor in childbearing. With great labor, you will give birth to children." I know that that's translated lots of different ways. We won't get into that today. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken and for dust you are for dust you are and to dust you will return okay so um in this passage very often this is uh referred to as the fall the fall of mankind okay it's when sin entered the world and then god uh you know addresses it and so um i wanted to share that you know this this i believe can be read and misread um, like so many passages. Um, I don't mean to be offensive to people, but sometimes, as I've um, been learning the Bible, teaching the Bible for decades, I have realized that I have needed to learn. Um, how to read the Bible more effectively more efficiently and um, really what principles I am reading the Bible with and and to examine those and to sometimes really question um, context and of course this is a narrative um, and in this narrative um, it it has been read at times as prescriptive instead of descriptive. And um, whether a passage is prescriptive or descriptive is really an important um, difference. It's like that that's an important distinction. And we need to really research and figure out how to read a passage. If something is prescriptive, that means it is God's uh, command, his wishes. This is how he wants it to be. If it's descriptive, it's just describing what is going to happen or what's going to be, not necessarily his will, his desire, or his command. And um, and in this passage, this is very significant how we read this, whether we read it prescriptive or descriptive. Um, and so with that, it's like if you look and you begin, you know... One of the things that we didn't understand, I think, for years and years, is that actually the woman and the man are not actually cursed. The, the serpent and the ground are actually the two things that are, that are cursed. Um, everything else has this um, clear, clear description of all the bad that's going to happen. Uh, the consequence of sin entering the world. Um, And so, um, even as you read through the first verses that we read, uh, verses 14 through uh, 15, 16, um, what you see is, you know, uh, things like, you know, you will crawl on your belly, you will eat dust, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now, is that a command or is that a description of what's going to happen this, if it is a command, would that mean that women could not ever have a pet snake or ever own a pet store or be a biologist? Um, it's clearly a description of what's going to be um and then it talks about the offspring and um that he will crush your head and you will strike his heel and of course that is one of the first um that is the first reference to jesus first prophecy of jesus but we won't go into that but um that's a very interesting passage but um he comes on down and he says, I will greatly uh, increase your labor, or some versions use the term pain and childbearing, and and um, it will be with pain or with great labor that you will great toil, you will give birth to children. And um, and this is, is interesting because if you think about it, is is this a description or is this a command? Is this a desire of God's? Um, if it's the way God wants it to be, then would painkiller be okay? Um, if God wants it uh, to be great labor, great uh, pain. Um, and and obviously, people don't believe that it's wrong to use painkiller or to, to use assistance so that uh, labor is not as intense. Um, and then even on down, if we skip that one verse here just for a moment, we're coming back to it. it. It talks about the ground is cursed, and through painful toil you will eat of it. Thistles, thorns, weeds, some versions use. Um, That's idea, by the sweat of your brow you will eat all the days of your life. I mean, the, you know, if that was a command... Would that be like you could not use weed killer, or it would be wrong to have a tractor? Um, should it be only by the sweat of your brow that you eat? Um, that you, it, it, you can see how we never you think of any of these things as anything other than a description of how bad it's going to be. The world is going to be different with sin in it. And it's God describing that. But we there's this one little verse that very often we make an exception of. Almost like this is not part of the description. This is somehow slides into prescription. And that's the second part of verse 16. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And somehow we've taken that passage and made it seem like, um, and in the midst of all this description of how terrible everything is, there's this one little principle that's just great. Your desire is going to be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Steve usually inserts right here as we read this that um, this has been a wedding scripture at a lot of weddings. This idea of of, uh, of a, a hierarchy and quote-unquote God's plan. And yet, this is very clearly a part of the description of, of uh, the fallen world. And exactly what we do not want to take as um, as a prescription for anything. And so I think that um, this is one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible in a lot of ways. Um the the passage here, your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. It's almost like what you woman, what you will desire is a mate, and you're going to end up with a master. You know, woman, your desire is going to be for a husband, and you're going to end up in hierarchy. Um, your desire is going to be for love, and you're going to end up being lorded over. You know. Um, this idea of a dominant, subordinate relationship is the result of sin. That hierarchy was part of that sinful world, that, that, that um, consequence of sin in the world. And boy, we see it, don't we? We have seen um, in history so much um, that has come, uh, so much pain that has come from there being that uneven, uh, that subordinate, um, dominant relationship, that that uh, sense of, um, of uh, lack of that beauty that was described in the beginning when God created man and woman. That was not the original plan. That was not what he intended at all. We want to push against sin and the sinful world. We always try to find a way to to push against. Um, what the consequence, what the issues of sin create within us. And, of um, and course, this is when truly people, um, that sin entered the world, and it wasn't just men and women's relationships, but it was men and men, women and women. It was like there was this struggle that began instead of this peaceful, amazing, balanced um, existence. And, um, you know, patriarchy is um, the background of the Old Testament, the backdrop that the Old Testament is um, happens in. It is the culture of the times, um, but it was never the point that God was making. In fact, um In some of our later lessons, we will look at how God pushed so fiercely against uh, patriarchy, how he took stand over and over and made people take exception to the principles of patriarchy. He defied patriarchy. Uh, many times in the Old Testament, and then in the New, we see Jesus come, and it be such a different way of viewing one another, and particularly women. So, in this, I, um, I think that it's just really, really good to see that this was not um, a list of commands, but a list. This is a description. It's to be read. Uh, descriptively, not prescriptively. Let's just go through and maybe kind of review a little bit the the conclusions. You know, what we've seen is that there is no significance in the creation order uh, biblically that there's just there there isn't any significance given to it i mean animals were created before man and then man before woman and 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 woman even from man which was beautiful which is part of that making sure there was this incredible balance and connection that they they could and this isn't just about marriage we need to remember that this is about men and women each being able to work together to bring their best, to fulfill God's purposes and plans, the responsibilities in this world for men and women to be able to work together in partnership, both benefiting and neither being harmed. You know, we see no um, biblical foundation for hierarchy, or for any type of dominant subordinate relationship that's established uh, based on gender. Um, We also noticed, and I would like to note that women, um, there's no cause for us to uh, deduce from this that women are more easily deceived, or that they are unstable, or weaker emotionally, or um, unreliable, or that they're temptresses. Um, You know, Eve was deceived. She was tricked, we learn. But Adam was disobedient, rebellious. So I'm not sure that one is better than the other, but they both were at fault and basically opened the door to sin um, in the world. You know, women were created to be strong partners, even warriors, actually, um, that term is that warrior, Um, not someone that needed to be provided for, protected, Um, you were going to have to, a man was going to have to be responsible for her. Um, almost like it was a burden an extra burden given no, it wasn't good for man to be alone and so God created woman, an azer a strength, a help, a rescuer a warrior by his side to be equal to him, to correspond to him to be able to rise to whatever challenge this world presented you know this the the description of the fall this this chapter 3 is not prescriptive but it's a, a description of the consequences of sin of sin in the world and how it will manifest you know what we lost through sin we gain through Jesus what we lost in the garden we recover on the cross I think that it's important for us to remember that we want to um, really live in this world in in such a way that we try to produce as, as it is in heaven. You know, that we want to be those people that try to live out God's way, God's perfection, God's plan to bring light and hope to this world. God has an original, perfect plan. And I truly believe that that plan is mutuality. Thank you for listening to the Made for Mutuality podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to continue to follow along and study out this subject, We'd like to invite you to subscribe or follow our show wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find a study guide to this episode on our website, madeformutuality.com. You can also connect with us on social media. All our links are provided in the show notes in this episode. Thank you.